Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Praise God. Well, good morning. Beautiful day. Our crowd is thin. There is a lot of lift up on everything from uh, flu right now to uh, pneumonia. A lot of pneumonia uh, I've heard about frequently and seen. Uh, so pray for all those right now. I know there's a bunch of people that are back this weekend. But, hey, God is good. Isn't he? God is faithful. God is merciful. And God is sovereign. So I'm, I'm excited today to know that there is not one person more than God wanted here this morning or knew was going to be, and not one person less. So I'm thankful that as God's growing us, conforming us into his likeness, he has a purpose and a plan for our life. There's nothing that God allows in our life, and I think that's one of the things we need to reiterate continually. God allows things for reasons. God is preparing us and training us. You know, when you go to work somewhere, you think about how often, because a police officer, I was a police officer, I know they train you for specific circumstances and situations. If you're not properly prepared, what can happen? I'll tell you what can happen. What happened this past weekend in Blunt County, I think was the name, uh, Blunt County's man's first arrest. He was hired in December. He had just made his first arrest, told his wife, I had texted her and said arrest, and um, her text never went back through, but he was headed to take the person that he'd taken into custody to the uh, sheriff's department, and I guess this is a place where it's a little bit confusing where the road is, and if I heard correctly, it was a little bit foggy, and he ran into the river, and both of them were killed. So proper preparation is imperative all the details of you know, being a new officer, you got that, you know, excited nervousness, and I don't want to mess. You know, there's a lot of things that can cloud our judgment, and that's why it's so important for us to be in God's Word, us to be prepared, us to trust God, be faithful in tithing, faithful with our time, our talents, and our resources. As God is growing us, He's preparing us, because we're going to face monumental battles in life. Uh, I, I Please pray for the Nichols family. Uh, many of you know that Frank Nichols died a Friday this week. He was a man that owned Handy for 50 years, over 50 years. Uh, his wife, Alice, Frank and Alice were some of the sweetest people that I've ever known. Um, but he was killed Friday. Uh, Alice got out, thank the Lord. They had to actually restrain her because she kept wanting to go in and go get him. But um, he was killed and he was 87 years old. But pray for the family right now. But also pray for the fire. I know uh, Matt was, Doug could respond to it and a bunch of them knew him. Most young, those, I mean, I call Matt young, he's my age. He's known Matt, Matt's known Frank his whole life. So they had, CPR had to get him out and all of that. And please pray because that affects people. But that's the thing when I talk about preparation, you're preparing for those inevitable things that happen in life with your occupation. Spiritually, it's the same thing. God is preparing us for things that if we are not prepared, can completely destroy us. 
we can be overwhelmed and consumed. You think about Job improperly in a, a love for God that was based on the blessing of the financial or the blessing of circumstances that had not been tough. Job would have never been able to withstood the trials and tribulations that Job faced. We are likewise being prepared. The same thing that happened with us last year when God had us walk through that valley that I never would have dreamed we would have walked through, never would have wanted to in a million years. Had we not spiritually had the support of you, had the prayer and the spiritual strength that God had given us in preparation for what we did not ever know that we would have faced, we've been consumed. And that's why I think it's so important this morning to embrace the body of Christ that God's given you, embrace the privilege of being in his word, spend time together, in prayer together, text one another, please do that. Develop the relationship with those people in the pew next to you, the people across the aisle. We don't have clicks here, which I'm thankful for, but please get involved in growing spiritually because I assure you, when those days come that you need the spiritual armor that God's word provides, that the only offensive weapon we have is you will be consumed if you are not prepared for it. So preparation, that's what this is all about. Salvation, sanctification, which is God growing us, ultimately gives way to glorification. That's the day that I hope you likewise are longing for. I'm thankful today that uh, summer's on the way. Amen. 60 degrees. I was on the ski slope with John last week. Uh, hey, it was 60 degrees. Three days later, it's 20. It was 21 degrees, I guess, when I woke up this morning. So what did I say? If you don't like Tennessee's weather, just wait a couple days and it'll change. But I'm really, though, thankful that we have this, this unchanging truth of the God that loves us, the God that sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And we finished up our study in the book Acts last week. Uh, so excited. It was such an encouragement to hear the comments back from you and how God's growing you. I pray you'll continue to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning get in God's word, continue to grow in the likeness of Christ. And this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. I, my dad, when, when uh, I always talk to them on Monday mornings, so last week they said, you know, what are you going to do now? You finish the book of Acts, what are you going to do? I said, well, Pop, you know what all pastors do. After you finish a series like that, you topical preach for a little while. It kind of, not a vacation, but it just gives the people a rest from another big, deep study. Uh, we're going to continue going through typology, most often on uh, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. So if you don't get a chance at LifePoint's people, or you're having to work on Wednesday nights, go online. Really thankful for our media ministry folks back there. Make sure you tell them how much you appreciate that, because... They're the ones that are able to, through their faithfulness of going back there week in and week out and serving and sacrificing. There's people all over the globe that get the opportunity and others who have to work or you miss, you know, you're traveling, you're on vacation. You can go back and stay up with whatever series or whatever um, we're going through at the time. So I am certainly, there's a lot of things, you all know me, if you know me personally, there's a lot of things about technology that I do not, I disdain. I was born a hundred years too late. I would love to have uh, been raised in the late 1800s, early 1900s. You might say, yeah, right, I really would have. Uh, there's so much that I long for in yesteryear. You know, my Amish and Mennonite friends, they live that reality that I really would love to embrace. But God has me at a different place in life and time and history. But um, those are those things that, you know, are such a blessing 
there's a lot of bad things that technology is responsible for these days and the sin that is so easily entangling people in. But this is one of the blessings and the gifts of being able to use technology in a very good sense, a positive sense. The title of this morning's message is A Fool for Truth. We, you might hear it a lot. No, I hear it a lot. Uh, not only personally spoken to me, but I see a lot in the, the, if I read an article about something, a lot of times I read the comments to see what the sentiment is of people, of our culture. And you know, it's interesting how provocatory and how, um, what a disdain Christianity has in a lot of cases all over the globe. Uh, some of the blasphemous, I actually will read for a second or two, but when it gets blasphemous, I can't, I can't stomach it. But just the outright disdain in many cases and mockery that entails people's thoughts and perceptions of Christianity and how they view us as weak-willed people that need someone to tell us how to live and what to do. Hey, I... I fall for that one. I'll go all day long with that. I have no problem being labeled that because I know that I am finite. I know that my understanding is limited. Uh, I don't know if anybody had an opportunity to see. It was a 60 Minutes broadcast. I don't watch live TV, but I happened to watch it on YouTube. It was about a 12-year-old girl who composed an entire symphony when she was nine. Uh, every single instrument and Every bit of this symphony, she composed at nine years old and just was able to uh, conduct it also as she played the piano as her part in the symphony. Did anybody watch that? At three years old, she listened to her first extremely complex piece of music and it birthed, and she's almost a, she's a savant. Uh, she's extremely gifted and extremely talented. But everything in her mind is continually music. It's all music, and she's absolutely brilliant. Now, the world's perspective sees us not as that. The world sees us as foolishness. And I see these savants. I've, uh, matter of fact, the ones that really astound me are the ones that are math savants, these kids that are four years old who can do math problems that adults. And by the way, this girl has never, ever been trained in any music at all. Never. She talked like uh, an astute 40-year-old philosopher. With It was just fascinating. If, you are, if you're interested in that, let me know, and I'll be glad to forward you a link of the 60 Minutes uh, interview with her. But when you see that stuff, you realize I am, realize how limited I am, how finite but understanding that her wisdom is nothing in comparison to the wisdom of the wisest person that ever lived, which was Solomon, and then the infinite wisdom of God. The title of the message being A Fool for Truth, I don't care what the world thinks about it. I don't care what the world thinks about what I blindly follow in my faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I know and believe is truth. I know that it's based on an absolute moral law that is rooted in the character of God himself. 
I am wise enough to understand that truth because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me that gives me full ability, 100%, to not only accept it and believe it, I would, and this is actual true, I would doubt you sitting here in front of me as a being before I would doubt that. What I realize about God and what I've learned from his word and been affirmed in the Holy Spirit that affirms truth to my heart and life is that God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and the same forever. He doesn't change. That is what I love about the truth of what and who God is, is because there are a lot of moral relativistic proponents today, even within quote-unquote Christian circles. What I mean about moral relativism is, moral relativism says that, well, truth is not absolute. Truth is relative. What may be truth to you is not to me, and it might be right for you, but it's not right for me. And they go on this, in a sense, they have this scale. And when you want to do something, well, okay, no, I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's not a problem for me, so you just leave me alone. And the thing is, there's a really good comeback for that. Oh, so truth isn't relative. If or truth isn't absolute, it's relative. Yes, yes, truth is, and, and because you believe in God and believe there's a standard of right and wrong, you can't impose that on society or on me. Oh, okay, I don't like you. So therefore, pow, nothing wrong with that, is there? Right, I don't like the person, I don't like their thought process, so truth is absolute, right? So therefore, I can end that person's life, and there's nothing wrong with that because I deemed that there that was within the scope of my truth. See, that's the problem. Because they say, oh, no, you can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Well, it's not right. Well, you just said the truth was relative. So if there's no standard of absolute truth, then there's nothing that you can tell anyone that is based on any standard because if there is no absolute moral standard, then everything goes. That is where you get them in those arguments and they begin the circular arguments and it's, it's a, honestly, it's a law of diminishing returns. It's, it's pointless. But I want you to understand today this morning, I'm a fool for truth because I know that truth is truth. And I know that as I shared, I, I shared with y'all last Sunday, I had the privilege of, of someone calling me up and asking me to share with a person who was in a quote-unquote alternative lifestyle. They wanted to know what, how was that in conflict with the biblical belief system and because this person is desiring to want to know Christ and they were saying this lifestyle, they realized it was contradictory to biblical truth. And I ended up sharing with them about how the Bible is the framework with which the greatest level of fulfillment will ever be experienced. The Bible withholds nothing, zero, from us that will lead us to the greatest, most fulfilling, most abundant life that can ever be lived. As a matter of fact, it leads us to the greatest level of fulfillment that we will ever experience and withholds nothing that will do anything other than hurt us. It only restrains us from things that will bring hurt, 
bring brokenness, fracture relationships, hurt us. I mean, we literally go through the whole gamut of things. Now, the problem is we are dealing with a narrative cast that is nothing more than a facade. It's a mirage. And the enemy started doing this in the Garden of Eden with the very first picture of temptation and then the fall of mankind was when the enemy comes and ultimately asks a question. Did God really say? It was a question. Did God really say? And that's what he does. He tries to reframe the narrative, the argument. He tries to say, wait a minute, if God is a God of love and, and, and love is what you're feeling, anything goes. Instead of saying, wait a minute, anything goes that's in the framework with which God's creative design and order is manifest and demonstrated, absolutely. It has to line up with God's creative order and purpose because if not, it can only steal. It can only hurt. It can only reduce our ability to be fulfilled and to experience the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. But those lies are very effective. And remember this, starting back in the Garden of Eden, the picture of the brokenness that resulted from sin was merely, again, a question framed, did God really say? But then ultimately what happened, we see Eve, the very picture of it says, she looked at this fruit she saw that what? It was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and gave it to her husband, and he ate too. By the way, nothing the enemy had promised came to pass. They were robbed. They were stolen from. Oh, they got knowledge of good and evil, but it did nothing to make them like God. It actually reduced them to a separate, a separate separation from God. That thank the Lord this morning, Jesus Christ was able to restore or give us the pathway to be restored in fellowship. It broke the ability for them to have the greatest level of fulfillment as Adam walked daily with God in the cool of the evening. And we see that intimate fellowship with God. That was robbed. They were robbed of the garden, robbed, taken away. Oh, yes, you were like God, knowing good and evil, but you lost everything that was anything. And that's what sin does. It's a lie. It's a mirage. It's a false belief system that this thing that we are seeing, that remember, it's framed as, look, look what God's withholding from you. God doesn't want you fulfilled. God doesn't want you to experience the best life, your best life now. No, it's a lie. God wants us to experience the best life. God wants the abundant life for us. God wants us to experience his exponential blessing on our life, but it cannot happen in the framework of anything outside of the context that he designed as what? The architect. He has set every single thing that what we have been created to do. It's like the owner's manual. The Bible's the owner's manual that again allows us to live the best life, but see, the enemy desires nothing more than to reduce us to a product of feeling, living according to our feelings, living according to what we think's best. So when we see in the Old Testament this perpetual state of what? Each man did what was right in his own eyes. That was the process with which this continual 
yielding one's self to sinful proclivities of the heart, the depravity of the human condition apart from God leads to nothing good. It doesn't lead you to wisdom. Wisdom is found in the truth of God, his word, and the Holy Spirit as God leads us. And this morning, I hope these, these two verses we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, I hope you come to the conclusion that I have many years ago that I'm a fool for truth. And I would always continually leave myself at that place where I will gladly accept the badge of being a fool for truth because truth does not change. It's absolute. You don't have to worry that the God we serve will change today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, 10,000 years, because if so, then our eternity is not secure. And if you're a person like myself, I love consistency. Amen? I love the unchanging nature of God. I love the fact that in my uh, almost 50 years now, there's nothing about the character of God that's changed, and it never will. And I'm thankful that in eternity one day, we will not be reduced to hoping and praying that God doesn't change, because if so, then he sins, and all of the perfection that God has assured us for all eternity would be at, what? In dire jeopardy. And I'm so thankful this morning we don't have that to worry about. And I hope uh, you found 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And if you're able physically this morning, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective and not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, for the privilege of being able to assemble or the privilege we have to open your word, to hear your word. More importantly, to allow your Holy Spirit full and free reign to speak to our hearts, to affirm, to challenge, convict, Whatever you want to do, Father, we give you all of it. Lord, hide me behind the cross today so that you and all things will be preeminent. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 26 and 27 again. So, or 26. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from human perspective. Not many powerful not many of noble birth. And the first thing is actually a question this morning I want to ask you is what is your calling? What is your calling? Well, we know the scriptural, the Bible talks about the high calling in Christ. What is your calling today? What do you feel God has called you to do? You know what the overarching calling of people as a follower of Jesus Christ, in him we live, move, and have our being, what is God called? Where are you the missionary today? Where, what is your mission field? And are you being faithful on that mission field? It's very easy to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and, and you know, I just try to reflect God and, and um, I, you know, I'm just kind of going along waiting for God to lead me. Are you seeking, by the way, uh, do you know that uh, Henry Blackaby died in the last month? Anybody know the, the one that wrote um, Experiencing God? So pray for his family. But what's so powerful is I was reading an article about it this week, and Claude King, and if you know Claude King also wrote it with him. But 
Think about the reach of that ministry of Black and B and experiencing God and how many people continuing to, even in our class, we're doing it now. But what an awesome picture, though, of someone that knew their calling. And one of those things that we are seeing, uh, one of the stories this morning that we read about was in uh, one of the churches, Claude King, they were a part of, they had been praying that God would allow them to have a greater ministry. You know, they believed that God was wanting them to start another church or uh, some other dimension of ministry. So they're praying about that. And meanwhile, I think it was 26 international students started coming and attending the church. So they're, they're continuing to pray about what God would have them do. And you have these 26 international mission students come in. And the, really the question kind of was, okay, so you've got these international mission students. Would you say, hey, go well, we're going to find a church that would be able to minister to you as international mission students. Or do you say, God, we've been praying that you have us start a church. You have sent these international mission students. God, we're going to go where you are working. Because that's really the, the theme of, of experiencing God. It's not us praying into existence and then praying God's blessing on what we decide we want to do, right? I'm going to start something and then pray that God blesses it. Well, that's not biblical, amen? It is not us that's the initiator of God's work. God allows us to be a part of his work. That's what's deep. And a lot of times, though, we get a skewed perspective in that. We don't live as 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with Paul, right? His power is made perfect in weakness. We need to stay at a place of spiritual weakness, meaning I'm in God's word, I'm growing, meaning I'm spiritually strong in, in this perspective of honoring you and glorifying you, Lord, but realize, God, I don't know your heart. I don't know, your, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts, Lord, so you must direct me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I got scripture after scripture that will affirm those truths. And we want to go to where God is working, though, and be obedient in following his lead. Because what happens, though, is we end up being the one that is the designer and the architect of our ministry, and it's not supposed to be like that. That's what's so beautiful about how experiencing God does is it, it just, it, literally it just deconstructs the self narrative of how things should be done spiritually. And what it does is rebuild you in the thing of God-directed, God-led ministry, which is blessed ministry. When we, desi when we desire to have God conform to our desire, that's never blessable. As a matter of fact, I think if you look through the annuals of history and you see the catastrophes that have happened and really at one point looked like very godly ministries, I think you'll see in those as you do a, a, a forensic study of that, that it was when man decided that he was going to show God how awesome this was, that God was disinvited to the party or God gladly bowed out because God can't be a, a, a part of a mess and God, not only that, won't bless a mess. Amen? So what's your calling this morning? Is your calling realizing that and saying, God, hey, I'm praying about this. You've opened the door to this. I'm going. I'm walking through the doors that you opened. Or are you opening doors and you're making things happen and then praying God comes along to get a get in the, the business of blessing it. 
It's not part of what God wants you to do, and that's what's so powerful. Brothers, consider your calling, what you're calling this morning. We know the high calling, but also what is your spiritual calling as far as, hey, God, where do you want me? What do you have? What would your will be for my life in this sense? God, I'm going to pray and wait. Wait to see where you're at work. Hey, how many times, and that's what's so powerful about this experience of God. I was talking today about when you're praying about what God wants, instead of just sitting there and waiting, what about the verse that came up in your mind as you were praying? What about the verse that God led you to in Scripture the next day or two and not just passing that off because it doesn't line up with what you think God wants you to do? What about reading that scripture and then praying, God, is this where you're leading me? Is this where you're directing me with an effective prayer life to lead you to effective ministry? I don't hope you're like me. I don't want to be involved in ineffective ministry, anybody? I want to be involved in effective ministry. I don't care how far I've got to drive. To, the old saying is, people look for a church right you know, around the corner from your house. I don't want a church around the corner from my house. I want to be where God wants me. As I've said to you time and time again, you didn't join Longview Baptist Church with my tenure here because Brother Jonathan was pressuring you to join the church. No way. What did I tell you? Hey, I want you to pray about it. I don't want you here if it's not God's will for your life. Not only will it not be good for you, but it won't be good for us. We want God's will. What great prayer throughout the history of mankind has been prayed that it's in accordance with, hey, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So this morning, what is your calling? And I ask you, pray about that. Pray continually about that. Pray that God leads you, that God guides you, that God directs you. Maybe you know God wants you here, but you don't know what your ministry is. I would uh, encourage you to begin fervently, seriously praying God, what would you have my ministry be in my work, in my spare time, in my hobby? God, what is your will for my life? Maybe you need to get that Blackaby series. I'll be glad to send you a link to where you can get it. Get it off Amazon. Buy the book, buy the workbook, buy the videos. You can, as a matter of fact, you get the link to it when you buy the book. So, But if you want to get serious about knowing God's will or experiencing God's power in your life, get serious about studying God's word and seeking his face to lead you in the perfect plan and path that God has for your life. Not what you think, not what I think. If you come to me and say, hey, Brother Jonathan, uh, uh, a young man or young woman, hey, I've met this person, and, and um, what, what do you think? What do I think? What I think don't matter. I see a person on Sunday, they can make themselves out to be anything that they want me to think that they are. My thing is, have you been praying about it and what's God got to say about it? I'm not marrying them. Somebody's like, well, you, do you not want so-and-so to marry so-and-so? I'm not getting up next to him and looking at him for the next 50 years. I'll get to see him on Sunday, smile, and go back to the house. You're the one that's going to wake up and God forbid you wake up and have buyer's remorse. Ain't nothing worse. You think somebody's really bad looking without their makeup or the facade they're putting on? Wait till you wake up every day and you roll over and go, ah. But that happens 
when God's not invited to the party. It happens when they look spiritual. See, people put on those front. These days, people have asked me about dating, and I say, I don't know what I'd do today if I had to. I, it, honestly, the very thought scares me to death. Honest, it horrifies me. You know why? I've seen how effective people have gotten at deception. And not only deception, long-term deception in the area of one, two, three plus years. It's scary. And this is the reason, though, that I even more so share the importance of inviting God to the party because you know what? God's got a real good way of doing. Remember in Scooby-Doo? Remember when, uh, uh, what was his name, uh, Shaggy would end up, you know, or one of them would end up grabbing the mask and lifting it off? The bad guy? And like, oh, that was Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so. And they, they unmasked them for what they really were. God's real good at doing that. Because remember, when you're praying in accordance with his will, when your desire is to honor, glorify, and lift up the name of Christ with your life, do you believe that if you are seeking God's face truly, fervently, effectively, and obediently, that God will let you be? You believe that God's going to let you be yoked with someone unequally who is deceiving you? If you are faithfully committed to him, steadfast, set, rock solid, obedient in the midst of his plan, path, and will for your life? I think not. But I tell you one thing, you go out here and do that on your own, the horror that your life will be, the misery, the anguish, the heartbreak, not only for you, but often people forget about all those people around you that it affects Again, it's like going into a pond saying, well, I'll do whatever I want to. It's your business. I tell people too, hey, you don't worry about what, I, I'm nobody. I'm just a man who loves the Lord, desires good for your life. You can do whatever you want to. Remember, I'm not the person that dictates what you're going to do. But I promise you, it's like being in a pond when somebody says, I'll do whatever I want to. You can't tell me. And thinking that when you take a rock and throw it in that pond that the waves aren't going to hit everybody in that pond or another one, grab a hold of an electric line and find out if everybody in that pond doesn't feel it. That's the thing. When you're a Christian, the effects of that are going to be far-reaching and affect everyone around you. So my question again today, what is your calling this morning? What is your calling? Are you seeking God's face? Are you in his word? Are you obediently yielded to not stepping foot through a door? You won't even get near that door until God unequivocally has opened it. Young people thinking about marrying or dating or anything, let me tell you one thing. When I've had people, I've been like, oh, they believe, oh, they're not a believer, but we're, we're, we're not get serious. We just, we just friends. You better get back. That's all I'm going to tell you. Friendship with another person of the opposite sex is an invitation to marry. Anybody you're having a relationship with and the, even a friendship thing, you better run. Because if they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you, especially if you're attracted to them, you better find somebody else to minister to their spiritual need. And then, that's fine. Maybe you can date them after they come to Christ. But I've seen that happen over and over and over again. You know, I've also seen them. I've seen them marry them. Marry an unbeliever beyond a shadow of a doubt in the hopes, ready? In the hopes that they're going to get saved. What do you think, Brother Jonathan? I think you better run. 
because you're in a dangerous place. Bible says light and darkness hath no fellowship. So commit when you're young kids never to date one time somebody who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, being a follower of Jesus Christ just doesn't mean, oh yeah, I got saved when I was seven years old. I'm a Christian. Yep. No. You better be able to stand there and defend and share not only when you came to Christ, but the fruits of God's work in your life. And if you can't, and by the way, when you call it psalms, I know you don't know your Bible. Huh? When you're, oh yeah, the book of Job? Sure. I bet you are sold out. Bet you're in it all the time. Those are indicators though. Church, there is. There are indicators that a person has spiritual ignorance. Don't you be setting yourself up for failure. I don't care how nice they are. I have seen this too often that followers of Christ have become a fool for someone that they are in love with, not realize the implications of when you do something is absolute directly in contradiction with Scripture. Because if you truly are a believer, you know what's going to happen, right? You want to take little uh, Peggy Sue or little Billy Bob to church on Sunday. What's going to happen? That person that's not a believer is going to say, hey, let's go to the lake. Let's go do this. Let's go hang out. Let's have family time. And what are you going to do? You're going to be in conflict. And you think when kids are 12, 13, 14 years old, when dad's saying, hey, let's go out to the lake and go fishing. Let's go do something fun. We'll let mom go to church. You think they're going to want to go? I think not. Now, you might be able to say, well, I heard about this story. One, You can give your stories all day long. But I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Light and darkness hath no fellowship. Don't entertain it in the first place. Then you know what you won't have to worry about? You won't have to worry about what happens when they don't become a follower of Christ. And by the way, do you think if it's, oh, I just love this person, I just, what, what happens if I let them go? They might get, if it's not God's person for you, you don't want anything to do with them. And another thing is, if it is God's person for you, you can go to Siberia. And if it's God's person for you, they're going to find you there. Because God's going to make sure it happens, especially if God saves them and God delivers them and God wants you to marry them, you won't be able to run or hide from them if it's God's person. And you're in line and in love with him and you are seeking his face and you're trusting him, you cannot make the wrong decision if you do it God's way. By the way, what am I giving you? I'm giving you a prescription for the abundant life, the life that brings fulfillment, the life that brings peace, the life that brings hope. You got young people these days, oh man, I'm 23 years old, I'm gonna die an old maid. If I don't get married, I've just gotta get married. Oh, no you don't. You better trust him. Stop leaning on your own understanding Start repeating, memorizing, and believing in total faith the scriptures that I share with you week in and week out, starting with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then piggybacking off of that, Ephesians 3, 20. Because unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times we fail to appreciate the power of God. 
the power of God to do what God did in Genesis with the best, most incredibly beautiful dating framework and structure ever seen. How did Adam end up with a wife? Word for word, God brought her to him. You know what that's called? Divinely orchestrated love story of all times. But we have to trust him. What does that mean? You have to be a fool of truth. You have to, without question, wholeheartedly trust God to do what God promises to do and to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. Delight yourself in him. He'll give you the desires of your heart, meaning more of him. And do you think that God doesn't love you enough to send you a godly spouse, young people? You don't know him because he will. He is ever, ever faithful. And listen to verse 27. We're only having two points this morning, so it doesn't throw you off. You didn't miss one. Verse 27, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Second thing I want to share with you in final this morning is God will use the foolish and the weak if you are willing and ready. God will use what the world considers the foolish and the weak if you are willing, ready. You might say, you know, I just, I'm not real smart like so-and-so and I don't have all these gifts and I don't have public speaking or I don't have leadership or I don't have, God doesn't need that. Last thing God needs is somebody full of self. Remember how I shared with you before God called me to ministry, I couldn't stand up in front of 25 people that I'd known for 10 years and give a 30 minutes, uh, a 30 second speech without having to have a, a um, anti-anxiety pill to enable me to do it. And whenever I did, my my uh, voice would quiver and I'd get nurse sweating. I mean, it was out. Of, I could never believe what in the world I was such a wreck. I could talk to two or three people, no problem. But when you stuck me in a group of people, that's why that first time that God ever had the pastor called me and wanted me to share my testimony, not my testimony, but what hope meant to me in Advent, that first time that, right, the doctor told me there was no hope, I was going to be in the wheelchair, that was going to be my life. And I remember all week long praying, God, I do not want to be the focus. I don't want people to see this nervousness that I always have. God, I want to share what you lay on my heart, and I don't want to have any ability for the enemy to use any of this for his glory. God, I want you, and I prayed all week long, Father, don't let me in any way be nervous, be anxious, and I pray by, by prayer and supplication, right, with thanksgiving, right? We don't worry about, we just do what scripture, I was claiming scripture all week long. Got up that Sunday, you'd have thought I'd been pastoring for 20 years. Got up there and shared what hope meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 was the two scriptures I used. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And that's what I asked this morning. If it doesn't matter what you have, God wants people that are emptied of themselves. 
You may have gifts God can use for the kingdom, but you're not doing it going, hey man, God, wait till they see me. Wait till they get a hold of what my gifts are for the kingdom. No. No, be like Moses. You know, I, I'm not eloquent. I, I, no, just be a person emptied of self. Because God can use that. God can use us when we are just desiring to be but clay in his hands. God, take me and make me your own. Use me for your glory. God, as a matter of fact, make sure that I can't take captive any glory and try to get the praise for it or the pats on the back. Lord, make it so out of my comfort zone or so that I will not be able to do anything but go, God is the whole entire reason for this. There's nothing. You can thank God because I have done nothing but what God wanted me to do. Be a fool for Christ. Be weak. Always know when God's working in a message particularly or a series or whatever God has me doing is I won't sleep good. One of the things with me and my back, the better I sleep, the better my back feels the next day. The better my mind is, the more rested I am, the better I am. I always know when God's really working because I don't sleep well, my back's not feeling well, and the more God weakens me, the more power God has. Isn't that interesting? Because, see, his power is made perfect in weakness. And that's why when Paul said in that, remember this weakness that Paul had was a result of God having to humble him because God had allowed him to see a vision of heaven. And I guess God knew enough about Paul that Paul was going to go in there and go, you don't match what I saw. You ain't never seen nothing like it. <laughs> I'm so spiritual. Look what God did and allowed me to see. God was like, I know you too well, Paul. It's not scripture. I'm just paraphrasing what I believe fully reason that God did that, it, and it says in there that to keep him from boasting. Boasting. He made him hurt so much so that Paul wasn't even thinking about boasting anything. He was tormented. The Bible says a tormenting affliction. We don't know what it is. It doesn't say what it is, and I think that's done on purpose. Because if it was gout, if it was a bad knee, if it was a bad back, if it was migraines, then you had migraines. Wow, you're like, oh, this is so amazing. Paul and I, you know, we share this affliction. No, it doesn't say it. And I think God did that because it applies to all of us. Whatever your affliction is today, allow the power of God in your weakness so that you can boast in Christ. Because his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. That's why I boast in my infirmities, my persecutions, my weaknesses, what? When I am weak, he is strong. And we loop back to what I said in the very beginning about God allowing everything for a reason in our lives. Whether it's to humble us, whether it's to challenge us, grow us, encourage us, all of it, God, not my will, but yours be done. And I ask you this morning, are you foolish and weak so that you are willing and ready? And I ask you that. What is your calling? Are you foolish, weak? Are you willing and ready? God can't use us when we're full of self. I pray this morning that as God's growing you and he's continues to conform you into his likeness, that you daily are in his presence, 
seeking his face, desiring not your will, but his will to be done. When you find your motivations all center, you find your motivations self-focused, God, break me of my selfish ambitions, my selfish motivations, Lord. God, I want nothing more than your will to be done in my life. I realize how fleeting this time in earth and life is. If you want to know how it is, just read the obituaries on any given day. Not as many in, in Bedford County, but feel free to look up Nashville's or you can just go to that one that has all of them in there. And uh, you can just do online, online obituaries and you can look at them all day long. But look at the people on any given week that you go, oh my gosh, they're younger than I am. They're the same age I am. People who were alive just a few days ago and are no longer here had no idea that they were getting ready to leave this terrestrial ball. Life is, as scripture says, but a vapor. Don't use the precious time that we have to squander it in foolishness because in reality, all of these other things that are trying to vie for our time, attention, and affections are nothing more than lies. They're mirages. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Love your family, brothers and sisters, like nothing else. Love your neighbors as yourself. Do what God's called you to do faithfully, passionately. And if God is preeminent, meaning number one in all of it, you will be effective at living out his creative purpose for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning, God, for your word, for the privilege of it, the challenge of it, and even the conviction of it. Father, I pray that during this invitation today that anything that our lives, minds, hearts, affections have not been where they're supposed to be, that during this invitation, Father, it would be time that we would get things right, get things to where you want them to be, not where we think they should be. Father, I pray that each one of us is clear in our calling, that we know what we're doing, we know where you want us, we're doing what you've created us to do, and if not, I pray that today would begin the process of sincerely seeking your face, God, for direction, so that we will find ourselves in the center of obedience, Lord, to experience the greatest level of abundant life that you've desired for us to live. God, thank you for your word that as we read your word, the Holy Spirit guides, direct us, and Father, as you bless us in that, speak to us, Father, like no one else can. If there's one today watching online or in this building that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today that your spirit has allowed them to understand this separation, this gap that occurred in the Garden of Eden. And Father, your desire through the Christ Jesus death, burial, and resurrection to restore that person in fellowship with you. And it happens when we realize that we can't do anything to meet the standard that you've called us to, the time and eternity and who you are. But Father, through Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, the standard's been met. And Father, as we confess our sin and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and ask you to be the Savior and Lord of our life. God, that is what needs to be done in order to experience true life. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.